Hey, what's up, everybody? Sean Eaton here, and welcome to this episode of the Tips and Crypt Podcast. In this, the sixth episode of the podcast, I'm taking my very first listener question, which is pretty exciting for me today. So today's question comes from Chris, and Chris is a relatively new flight nurse with a background in trauma, and she is looking for some tips and tricks about reading 12 leads quickly. So let's go ahead and take a listen to her question. Hey guys, my question for you today is going to be about reading 12 leads quickly. I'm a newer flight nurse with mostly um, my background in just trauma. I don't have the chance to read 12 leads very often. When I do, it takes me a long time and I'd like to get quicker at it. If you have any tips or tools, uh, just uh, what I need is the, the down and dirty to getting a 12 lead read quickly on a sick patient. Uh, Thanks. Bye. Awesome. Thanks, Chris, for the question. So I've got five tips that I think are really going to help you out. So let's jump right in. So first of all, uh, like you alluded to, Chris, uh, the number one thing that's going to help you improve your 12-lead EKG reading skills is to read a lot of 12-leads. The fact is that um, there's really no good way for you to get better at reading 12-leads without reading 12-leads. So over in the show notes, I'm going to have some links to some websites that have a ton of 12-leads that you can look at along with their interpretation and some reasoning behind their interpretation. So make sure you check that out. Uh, the second fact that I want you to realize is that flights is not a great place to learn 12 leads. Unfortunately, the number of 12 leads that we have a chance to see in the flight environment is far less than what you're going to get working in a hospital or say a paramedic working on the streets. So it's going to be up to you to really get out there and try to find some 12 leads for you to look at. All right. So tip number two is it's essential to know what a normal 12 lead EKG looks like. Make sure you understand proper placement of the chest leads and the proper placement of the limb leads. Because if you've got a 12 lead that's looking kind of wonky and you notice the leads are in the wrong place, then right away you're able to start narrowing down what's going on with your 12 lead. Make sure you understand what your normal intervals are and whether or not the QRI should be positively deflected or negatively deflected for the lead that you're looking at. Okay, tip number three, and this is the one that I think is going to be most valuable for you. Make sure that you have a systematic process for reading an EKG every single time you want to follow the same process. So let's go through some of these the steps that I use. Now, I do want to put this caveat in there that this is the process that I use. Now, the best process for anybody to use when reading EKGs is the process that works best for you. So use this as a uh, a template, if you will. Try it out. If you like this process, go for it. If you find that something works a little bit better for you, switch it up. But once you figure out what works best for you, make sure you use that same process every single time. Okay. So the first thing that I do is I skim the EKG. The reason I do this is for me, it's like reading the cover of a book or reading kind of the, the back cover of the book that gives a little synopsis. It kind of sets my mind and gets me ready for reading the EKG in a systematic fashion so that I kind of have an idea of what I'm looking at. The history of the patient's complaint is also going to do this for you, okay? So I skim the EKG looking for anything that might be life-threatening that I need to address right now, things like VTAC or hyperkalemia. Step number two is I look at the rate, the rhythm, and the width. 
I want to know if it's fast or slow, regular or irregular, narrow or wide. Now, step number three is to look at each portion of the EKG very systematically and determine whether or not it's outside of its normal range. So you want to look at the P waves, you want to look at the PRI, you want to look at the QRS complex, you want to look at the QTI, you want to look at the ST segment, and the T waves. You want to look at each one of these to determine if the interval is correct. Now the next step is to determine access, and you want to do this because this is going to give you some clues as to what the pathology is of the EKG. Now, how do you do this? There's a couple different ways. The first way is to look at lead one, two, and three. If leads one, two, and three have a positively deflected QRS complex, this is a normal access. I have a chart over in the show notes for how to determine your other accesses based on leads one, two, and three. So take a look at that. The easier way to do that is to look at the print-off that is usually printed in the top left corner of your EKG. And generally what it'll say is accesses, and then it'll say P, QRS, or sometimes it'll just say R, and then T. Now the EKG is really good at determining the electrical access of uh, a rhythm. So that's going to be a lot more accurate than using your uh, your leads one, two, and three to determine access. Um, but in order to do that, you have to understand what the number is. So it won't tell you left access, uh, right access, pathological left. What it'll do is just give you a, a number value and you need to know what that number value represents. I've also got a, a little drawing in the show notes that I uh, created that will explain that as well. Now, the next step is to look for blocks. Now, you want to look for left bundle branch blocks and right bundle bl- bundle branch blocks. You also want to look for hemiblocks because if a patient has a hemiblock, say they have a left anterior fascicular block and a right bundle branch block, the morphology of the EKG will change. And so determining whether somebody is actually having a STEMI is going to be more difficult. Not impossible. It used to be this old um, notion that if a patient had a left bundle branch block, you couldn't identify a STEMI. But we now know that's not true. We just need to use Scarbosa's criteria in order to identify those patients who are having a STEMI in the setting of a left bundle branch block. You also want to look for um, regular AV blocks because if a patient has an AV block and a fascicular block or a complete heart block, it's going to increase their chances of having a complete heart block, a third-degree heart block, which, of course, can rapidly lead to hemodynamic instability. So something else to be looking for. Then the last thing is uh, you want to evaluate the ST segment and T waves, okay? So remember, we identified the J point, and now what we want to do is we want to look over the whole EKG and see if there are any areas where the ST segment is elevated or depressed above or below the isoelectric line. If we see regions where the ST segment is above or below the isoelectric line, we then need to consider, are these ST segment elevations or depressions consistent with the normal patterns we would expect to see when there is an infarct within certain regions of the heart? Okay, so we know that these 2, 3, and AVF correlate to an inferior wall MI, Leads 1, AVL, V5, and V6 correlate with a lateral. V1 and V2 are consistent with a septal wall. 
MI and V3 and V4 are consistent with an anterior wall MI, if those patterns match, then we can start to predict where the patient might be having a STEMI. If these patterns don't correlate, then we might need to be thinking about other pathologies. Once I've looked at the whole EKG and tried to determine if there's ST changes, whether it's elevation or depression, then I'm going to look at the T waves. I want to ask myself, are the T waves upright or are they inverted? And if they're inverted, are they appropriately inverted? Okay. There's uh, a whole slew of reasons why your T waves might be inverted. It can be ischemia. It can be a strain pattern. It could be a Wellens type 1 or Wellens type 2 T wave associated with LID stenosis. Is the the ST segment uh, concave or convex? Is the T wave peaked? Is it flat and rounded? Is it greater than two-thirds the height of the QRS complex? All of these different uh, findings can be caused by different pathological conditions. After I've done all of this, I've looked at whether the, the rhythm is fast, slow, regular, irregular, narrow, or wide. I've looked at all of the different intervals, and I've determined whether they are normal or abnormal. I've looked at the ST segment. I've looked at the T waves. I've kind of formulated an idea in my mind of what I think is going on with this patient based on the EKG findings. Then the next thing I do is I ask myself, does this make sense? Given the patient's history, given the patient's uh, complaint, given all of the information that I've obtained from the patient, their medications, their history, everything, does what I'm seeing on the EKG make sense? The last thing, and this is probably uh, the most important thing that I can um, suggest to you, is after you've taken a patient to the hospital and dropped them off, turn them over to the cardiologist, turn them over to the ER doc, especially if this person has gone to the cath lab, try to follow up with the cardiologist. You're going to find out so much information by talking to the cardiologist that, that will help you in the next time you're looking at a 12 lead. You'll be able to ask them what they think is going on based on the EKG and compare that to what you saw. If there's a big discrepancy, you can consult with them. You can say, hey, this is what I saw. This is what I thought. Is that correct? Yes or no? And if it's not, they can tell you why it's not correct. If the patient does go to the cath lab and you're able to go into the observation booth, they'll be able to explain to you exactly what was going on with the patient. And then you'll be able to take that information and go back and look at the 12 lead again and compare the two so that you can start formulating a better understanding of what that EKG was trying to tell you about the patient at the time. That's all I have for this episode. I want to thank you, Chris, for the question. If you have a question that you'd like features on a podcast, head on over to askflightcrit.com where you can send me your question just like Chris did. I've got a ton of additional resources over in the show notes, um, so make sure you check that out. Um, there's a ton of links as well. Like I said, if you have a question, leave it in the show notes. If you have a comment, leave it in the show notes. And if you have another tip that you want to add to this podcast, leave that in the show notes as well. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. I'm having so much fun doing this. Uh, please, if you like the show, come on over to iTunes where you can subscribe and never miss an episode again. You can also leave me a comment and a review right there in iTunes. That helps more people find the show. Until next time, education is good, but excellence through collaboration is so much better. Fly safe and live well, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Tips from Crypt Podcast. Bye for now.